Welcome back to Thinking About It. We appreciate all you who are listening to our weekly podcast. We're doing our best to keep one out there every week. Uh, Ryan Kreitzer last week with evangelism in the university context. And today got Dave Barker back. Uh, from So Dave, welcome back to our podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here again. Thank you. Last time we were here, uh, we, we closed down the podcast and we talked about the next thing. And uh, so we've been thinking, you and I, about the, the, the messaging in Acts chapter 6, uh, which describes the early days of the church, and there are some things in Acts that are described, other things are prescribed. And so what do we learn from Acts 6, where you've got this murmuring going and the early church is trying to deal with it because the wheels are coming off, how do you keep it going? So um, they organize in such a way to care for the widow. So what, what do you think would be the, the value of that passage for the church today? If it's not prescribing anything, if it's describing something, is there a, a lesson for the church in Acts 6? Yeah, I, I think that there is, and it's an important lesson. I think we need to realize a lot of people go to that text to kind of find, to find the, the functions of you know, elders and deacons, and uh, the apostles saying that they were going to give themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, and then the men that were chosen uh, were to care for tables. Um, I think we have to be a little bit careful with that. Um, the transfer of identity from, el- from apostle to elder, I think, is a very dangerous one. Uh, elders today are not apostles. The apostles were unique of that time. They were laying the foundation of the church. They had tremendous power, power of life and death, power to forgive sins, uh, and a number, uh, you know, uh, shown things to come, uh, and that kind of thing. So I think we need to be really careful drawing that line from uh, from apostle to elder, but I also think we need to be careful drawing the line from the, the seven men who were chosen. They are never called deacons. This says that they served, uh, but they were never ever called deacons. Um, it's interesting, too, because the apostles says we want to be about the ministry of the word. That's the word deacon, mm-hmm. where we want to deacon mm-hmm. uh, the word. So we just have to be really careful about drawing straight lines from that point to where we function today as elders and deacons. But so in that sense, it's descriptive in terms of what happened back then. But I also, I also think that in those descriptive kinds of things, we learn values, principles, um, things that were important for the church at that time that were being cared for that I think do come across into our day and time today. And you, I think you would agree that later on in his epistles, Paul formalizes some of that stuff, right, by creating offices and so that the work gets done. But it's not in Acts 6. Not, not in that sense. We, sometimes we call them proto-deacons, um, and maybe that, that would be legitimate. But when we actually look at what those men were doing— uh, beyond serving the tables mm-hmm. and caring for the, caring for the widows— Stephen and Philip were two of them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, they, were, they were way beyond our normal way of thinking about deacons. They were evangelists. They were deeply embedded in, in the mission of the church, uh, in, in, as I said, in, evangel- in apologetics. Stephen uh, died as a martyr defending the faith. Uh, Philip and the Ethiopian noble 
Um, so these guys were very, very different than the way we would describe deacons today with their kind of uh, functional uh, responsibilities to care for kind of the more, what you might call, uh, administrative life of the church. Yeah, but they were appointed to that ser- that task, right? Right. And that's where they served. The fact that they did those other things wasn't what they were appointed to necessarily. I don't see that. I, I just see that they were filled with the Spirit, and in addition to their assignment, uh, they did what anyone would do if they had an opportunity. They preached the gospel, lay person, not apostle, whatever they were, uh, they were effectively used because when you're filled with the Spirit, there's not much that you can't accomplish. Right, and 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 and, and for sure. But in, in the description of those two of the seven, though, that comes through loud and clear. And so it seems to me that uh, Luke, who is writing the book, wants the first, the early church, that first century church, to hear about that reality among those seven that were appointed. Okay, so why is that important for us to discern or to grasp? Well, I, I think I, I, I worry about using that. Um, I like it when you get worried because then, then I say, I got to get worried about this too. So <laughs> don't apologize for, for worrying. I worry about the fact that when we, when we say that kind of the, the evangelism side, the apologetic side was kind of a side issue, or kind of something that they fell naturally to or whatever, um, we, we push it all back to, well, the one thing that they did was serve the tables. Well, that's not true. Um, they, they were recognized by the, 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 the congregation as being spirit-filled to care for that responsibility, but flowing out of that were these other uh, things that they were involved in and capable of doing. So I, I guess um, I, I just I, I worry about bringing that in, uh, ignoring the, that other part of it, and simply bringing one aspect of their responsibility in a direct line to the life of the diaconate today. So how important is it that the church consider itself um, <clears throat> as a family of families uh, responsible to organize itself? to get spiritual people, men and women, I think we would argue, to um, just care for those kinds of needs. Well, I think, and and let's go back to what what the book of Acts is. It's a description of the growth of the church from a small sect in Jerusalem to at least a Mediterranean-wide, if not, you could almost call it a worldwide uh, movement. Um, It's the Acts of the Apostles describing and celebrating the growth mm-hmm. of the church. I think the key word over the book of Acts is celebration um, of, of how the church expanded with some tough times, obviously, right, with uh, martyrs along the way, including Stephen and Paul and others. Um, but um, what, what, I'm, what I'm after here, what, what I see the value of the book of Acts is, is in its non-pre- non-prescription, we find description of, of the life and activities of the church. And so clearly, I think Luke is after telling the church, as they tell that story, is that you need to care for the poor, the orphan, and the widows. And that, of course, is seconded by James and James mm-hmm. 1. But the other functions are priorities for the life of the church. So the church needs to be a church at prayer. 
and its leaders in particular need to be people of prayer. The church needs to be committed to the ministry of the word. And its leaders need to ensure that the ministry of the word is happening. Um, Evangelism needs to be a function of the life of the church. Apologetics, Stephen, defending the faith, needs to be part of the life of the church. So we see these principles, these values. And then I think the, the final thing here is we recognize that allocations of responsibilities uh, need to be recognized uh, in different people, different contexts, so that we, we don't saddle one person with everything, but we recognize the giftedness, giftedness as mm-hmm. of, the church, of individuals, talents, and the critical thing is spirit, that, they're, that they're spirit-filled. What do you think of the idea that the, the apostle said, you do this, you look for people who are this kind of character? Mm-hmm. Um, we may not know as well as you do, but we're going to trust the congregation to look out for these kind of people. And even that, it's in itself, okay, we're going to look for those kind of, what do they look for? You know, and do you make a list? Okay, we've got 50 people who are like that. Um, it seems to me that, that these kind of people lived in such a way that these attributes were visible, right? They, they knew them. They weren't just names on a paper, but, but there was a relationship that they had with these people. And um, I don't know if that's democracy, but, but there was something about the congregation being involved in the appointment of those people. Yeah, um, and I th- the apostles could have easily have done that. I mean, they certainly had the capability, the power. The apostles were unique in their day. With the, they were, as they were laying the foundation of the church, they had tremendous powers. We mentioned it. So they would have had discernment sure, to see would what would not capability. otherwise be visible. Yeah, I, and I think the apostles could have easily. But they didn't. Exactly. And they knew that they wouldn't be there forever. The apostles were all gone by the end of the first century. John was the last one to write. And I think that what they're doing here is recognizing that this kind of responsibility is going to have to be transferred into the life of the ecclesia of the church. Mm -hmm. And so they let that happen and trusted the church. Furthermore, they trusted the spirit Mm -hmm. to, to speak in the life of the church as they chose their leaders. And so there's, there's a transfer going on. It's a transition period, a transfer time, and I think we're seeing the apostles give up power and give up that kind of thing and give it over into the life of the church. And that comes through in, in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, books written later mm-hmm. in the first century, and now it is... You choose your leaders completely. I mean, choose your elders. Here are the characteristics that you're supposed to follow. Mm-hmm. And nowhere do you see Paul or anybody saying, okay, but I'm going to put my imprimatur on it, or I'm going to approve it, or I'm going to do any of decision-making for you. So there's this, this movement of responsibility from the apostles right. as they laid the foundation. Do you, do you get concerned when you see uh, trends uh, to restore the apostolic office, uh, whether it's called that or not, where a type of leadership emerges that um, kind of resembles the first century apostle where there's authority and sometimes visions or r- rumors of miracles, that kind of thing? Yes, it worries me a lot. Um, 
I'm convinced that uh, apostles and prophets, Ephesians 2.20, laid the foundation of the church, and they are no longer with us as offices. Mm -hmm. Is there an apostolic function in the life of the church? When it comes to the mission of the church, proclamation of the gospel, going to the, you know, the edges, as it were, with that apostolic mission, for sure. Is there, a, is there a prophetic ministry within the life of the church? And by the way, prophetic ministry has more to do with revivalism than it is predicting the future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So are those functions in the life of the church? For sure. Are there people who hold those offices of apostle and prophet today? I think that's a very dangerous place to be because if you start picking up the, the uh, power of the apostles in, in human leadership yeah. today, again, do, do a study on the nature of apostles in, in the New Testament. Right. And in many ways, they're kind of terrifying people uh, with their ability to yeah. you know, speak and Ananias and Sapphira right. are dead. You wouldn't want that authority given to anyone who was not duly called to be an apostle, such as the original 12. Right. One more, one more question. We've just got a few minutes left. Um, what do you think of the apostles saying in Acts 6, we're going to stay here, or the implication is we're going to give ourselves to the word and to prayer? Um, aren't they supposed to be sent? Like, isn't that what apostle means? That they, so when we, when we look at them as examples of leaders... We say, okay, I can relate to that as a pastor. I'll pray and the word will be a big deal to me. But I thought they were supposed to be mobilized, those guys. Yeah, it's interesting. that I, I don't know that I have actually kind of thought of that. Do you, were, okay, I, I should read it before I ask the question. But in Acts 6, was it, it was the 12, wasn't it? It wasn't yes. apostles used in a generic word. No, it said the 12. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it says, I think that's in verse 1 or 2. Well, I suppose you can give yourself to the prayer, to prayer and to the word and still be on mission. And, well, and if you're going to look at Paul as, as an example, he certainly yeah. was on mission. Yeah. Now, this is earlier than, than Paul's conversion. Right, and the um, scattering hadn't quite happened yet. Right, and we don't know what the other apostles were involved in, right, in terms yeah. of Peter and others who were, who were eventually... Yeah. And I think a lot, well, there are some traditions that right. they went far and wide. But Luke didn't seem to care. At this point, about, he just focused on Paul as a quintessential missionary example that right. I think is very helpful. Uh, Dave, just before we go, uh, I should mention that we did get some response on our conversation about liturgy. Uh, a friend of ours who, re- who uh, listens regularly said that he came out of a liturgical church where it was meaningless. The words were good words, but they were said by people who didn't believe them. And uh, he's a little bit concerned that we might be promoting uh, kind of a dead liturgy. Uh, we're not, are we? Absolutely not. And um, as I read the email from our friend, and basically I agree with everything that he's saying. Um, he had some comments about architecture, too, that I thought were really helpful. Um, I would say to that one, you know, whether in a catacomb or a cathedral, uh, we, can, we can worship Christ. Um, and... and and uh, it, it's interesting what he told the story. That's the story of my parents. My parents came out of, uh, you know, liturgical kinds of churches. And my mom was saved through Billy Graham. My dad was saved through a faithful pastor uh, in a Baptist church. And so, yeah, I, we're not promoting that kind of thing at all. I think what we were talking about, what kind of got us going on it, was the interesting movement we're seeing mm-hmm. of young adults in the evangelical yeah. church 
moving either out of the faith altogether and then coming back through uh, or into the more liturgical church or just even some of our young adults moving out of the evangelical church not losing their faith but finding hope or finding resilience, finding value in a more liturgical context. An animated liturgical context. Yeah, and and we got to be really careful that the liturgy doesn't substitute for a clear proclamation of the gospel. Absolutely. That's a good point. Uh, one more thing before we go. Uh, our listeners love Stan Fowler. We, and we let people know how he's progressing, and he is progressing. Uh, but uh, their Donna, his wife, is uh, preparing their new home for Stan. Heritage is helping with the uh, flooring and everything. Also, uh, they've spearheaded a GoFundMe campaign. So there's been a, a goal set to purchase some of the medical equipment that Stan needs. And if you are interested in participating in that goal, then you can go to the Heritage website. If you can't find it, you can uh, call us at the church here or email us at the church, and we'll, we might even put it on our website somehow. But if you can, it'd be great for you to help uh, Stan and Donna at this time. Until then, uh, thank you for thinking out loud with us here at Thinking About It. God bless you, and we'll see you next time.